Hello and welcome to the next edition of New Horizons. I'm your host, Steve, and joining me is my partner in crime, Mark. Hello! How are you doing? Not bad, how are you? How is everybody? I'm doing okay. This week we are joined by Dave Rossi. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And for people who don't know who you are, can you tell us how you got into Star Trek and how you've been involved with Star Trek as well? Yes, uh, I, uh, I've been a lifelong Star Trek fan since the age of, uh, oh, I don't know, seven-ish. And, um, and through a, a very uh, strange set of fluke circumstances, I ended up uh, getting a job on Star Trek The Next Generation in the fifth season and worked for the next 14 years on that show, slowly uh, moving, uh, working with pr- different producers and ultimately ending up as an associate producer on Star Trek Enterprise. But my bigger role on the show was uh, dealing with the studio uh, in all its ancillary aspects. So anyway, they wanted to exploit the series as far as um, licensing, video gaming, restaurants, themed entertainment, uh, all of those various uh, ancillary parts. That was what uh, what I dealt with on the show. Cool. Wow. <laughs> it was quite a ride. Quite a ride. And you'd also had um, quite a bit of involvement with the original series with regards to remastering. Yes, that's true. Uh, I... Uh... Uh, I was approached by CBS. They were uh, looking to do something. To, they were having trouble selling the original series back into syndication, and the advertisers were wary because it was, you know, at the time a 40-plus-year-old show. And um, uh, one of the suggestions they had was to uh, not only remaster it uh, towards high definition, but also to replace the exterior visual effects, so ship shots mostly, and and a few of the matte paintings that were done on the planets and so forth. And so uh, they hired me to do that, and I brought in Mike and Denise Okuda to help me, and we, uh, um, yeah, we remastered uh, the original series, which was, um, I mean, as a the level of fan that I am, especially regarding the original series. I mean, I used to you know, teach Star Trek at my house to kids in the neighborhood. So, <laughs> so <laughs> to, to be able to, uh, to be able to go in and, and, um, um, uh, play around with that, but also, uh, you know, certainly we, we did it with a, a light touch. There was no, uh, you know, giving the enterprise barrel rolls or anything like that. We, we wanted to, to stay true to what the, intent of the original producers were um as best as we could you know guesstimate what that was uh and uh and it was great it was just a lot of fun and very rewarding and um uh one of the highlights of my professional career i think on the topic of of that era of course discovery is based 10 years before the five-year mission with kirk and co so what are your thoughts on the discovery, basically? Um, we've seen two episodes so far. Well, um, I'm of two minds, uh, frankly. Um, I, I wasn't really... Uh, I wasn't looking forward to a prequel series. Uh, I wanted to move forward. 
And um, part of that is because I think that's what Star Trek should do. Uh, but the other part is I, I don't understand why knowing that aesthetic exists, and, and I'm not saying you have to you have to go for that that aesthetic. I mean, when we did Enterprise, which takes place much further in the in the, much closer to our time than Kirk's time, yeah, um, we still had that we still had that design hurdle, which was we can't do the '60s because that the the, the production value was what it was um but at the same time you can't make it more advanced just because today's technology is more advanced and so uh it's it's a very delicate i think line to walk and i i listen i'm sure that there's there's a whole host of people out there that just don't give a wit about that 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 as long as the show is compelling and um and that works that's that's fine for them, but there's, I think, another group of people that that uh, grew up with the original series, and and I mean, I, I think it would have been interesting to actually try and bridge that aesthetic. Now, what they did in Discovery, I think, is they threw that design aesthetic right out the window. Um, there was, there's no hearkening to any of it, with the exception of the sound effects package. I think um, design of well, hand phasers. Well, I would disagree with you a little bit with that. If you have a look at some of the um, things that say for example on the wall you can see where it's got like the enterprise look like you've got the um, monitors panels on the wall and it's in the same sort of structure it hasn't got any of the L-Cars stuff we saw in Next Generation but it's definitely got that enterprise feel on the screens it's definitely bridging what we saw in Enterprise with a flavour of what we saw in the original series I think with it being so close to Kirk's time, and and I mean, I I think the Enterprise is out there right now somewhere, flying around. Yeah, because um, it would have been under the command of uh, April. Captain April, right? Uh, so knowing that that's out there, I think it would have been interesting to... I'm not going to say embrace that design aesthetic from the 60s, but to to maybe... I don't know. Figure out a way to to bridge it in a in a more um, in a, a smoother transitional way. And I I don't know what that is. I'm not a designer, but um, but I think that I think you just yourself by by starting there because look, I mean, they're introducing holograms that turn around to look at people in different planes in the room and. Mm. Um, you know things that never existed in in the original series, and again, I, you know, there's a there's a whole host of people that that just say, oh, it's not your your father's you know Star Trek, but there there are things about that about there about those elements that I like, and um, and so when you introduce things as jarring as you know holograms and and it it just it takes me out of it, it takes me out of the time frame they're supposed to be in. So, and and I don't know that the story yet, look what we've gotten from the story so far. This is obviously a long running, you know, it's going to be one story by the end. Um, yeah. Uh, and so we're in that kind of serialized state right now. So I don't know, to me right now, is is the telling of this story worth boxing yourself into this time zone? And to me right now, it's not. Because to me, when we've sort of discussed this before in the past, I've said to people, 
I can see why they didn't move forward because at the point where we were in the future, basically you had a technological answer to everything. Whereas going back, it's going to be more about the characters because you're there and a lot more restricted to what can be answered by, oh, let's just create this or use that. It, it's but I, I was going to say, but I think that's determinant on how you set up the universe that exists in the future. Yeah, I mean, if, if you were to say, um, we're going to move it into the future and it's... Um, and and it's purely that the federation has now expanded another you know 12% and and it's it's just that kind of business as usual then maybe you're right but i think that that, that there's a, a lot of ways to tell star trek certainly we're seeing one right now um uh which is kind of the other problem i i have with discovery uh and and let me get out first of all the production value is through the roof and the acting is phenomenal. I, I, it's not that I'm, you know, I don't hate the show by any means, uh, but I would have liked more exploration. And I also have an issue with, um, with broken characters. Um, I, I, I kind of, I miss altruistic, heroic characters. And and well, by the end of this season, maybe some of them will get there. They all seem like a a pretty dysfunctional motley group to me right now i suppose yeah. that's what people like for me i like the fact people are broken because it's like especially you go to work you can like someone a lot but there are times they just get on your nerves they do something really stupid you can do things really stupid um it's never all sunshine and roses sort of thing and i like the fact it's more down to earth, so to speak. <laughs> Pardon the pun for but, a space but the, series. Mm. Um, but it's nice that it's more grounded in reality in that it's not, oh, this is your hero, everything will be done right, and they're going to win at the end of the day. I like the fact it's a little bit more gritty, the fact that you're not going to know what's going to happen. You're with the characters as they try to become better people. But I... I was talking about this with someone from work, and so far in Discovery, there's no one I like yet. There's not that redeeming quality, like with Data, there's a bit of humanity, well, not humanity there, there's a bit of <clears throat> understanding there, you want to see how he would progress into humanity, you want to see Picard softening as the season goes, you want to see Harry Kim getting a promotion. There's no one there yet I care enough about. I actually really dislike a lot of them. Yeah, I think uh, with the exception of Saru, I think they all have um, separate agendas. They're all uh, kind of shady. And and I think that, you know, when you look back at even the original series, um, going back that far, but even with Deep Space Nine, which was a very complex story about, you know, humanity at war, the, the Starfleet characters were, were still heroes, they were they were still um, better people, and what what defined them in many cases were sometimes the decisions they had to make, which were difficult and scarring. And you know, I, I think there's drama in that. And it's not that that everyone needs to kind of climb out of the muck of being, you know, flawed humans. It I I, I think Star Trek stands for something. For, and this is obviously purely for me, Star Trek stands for um, 
a more evolved sense of acceptance and and right and wrong in people. And these the people in discovery right now seem very colloquial as far as their behavior goes. And it, it just I, it's just not what I was looking for. And I'm certainly watching it again. It's it's it can be compelling. It's just not Star Trek for me, but it's but it's I, I'm certainly going to keep watching it. To me, this series seems to be a lot like Deep Space Nine's was it in the Pale Moonlight episode where Cisco does the wrong thing for the right reason. Right, but he but the, and but... this time, unlike with that episode where you're just told about what he's done, we're now getting to see the ramifications of such things, and we're going to see how the Federation is and of more sort of like in the lower deck sort of thing how it affects people who aren't just the bridge crew yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out i think i think the difference for me is that um you know cisco was a certainly a man of honor and principles and captain Lorca doesn't feel that way to me at all no he doesn't uh and and the security chief i mean they have an interesting moment at the end of this episode where she says, whatever you say, Captain. Like, you know... Yeah. Yeah, there's this whole unspoken thing that, that is like, there are no lines that cannot be crossed, that I won't cross for you. And and mm-hmm. to me, that feels very odd. And it just it just feels like this... You know, and, and certainly they're introducing a lot of mystery. The black badges, I don't know, is that Section 31? Who knows? Um uh, what is a black alert? I mean, there's you know all these kind of different things going on that we're going to learn about as as the show goes on, but um, but when you when the when Starfleet's first mutineer is the only one you're really rooting for in a room of people, <laughs> to, to me it just I, it's I, a bad I, day. <laughs> I just uh, and I and I think that there's I I know a lot of people think that um uh broken means complex and i and i disagree with that i i you know one of my favorite superhero movies is captain america and in every movie that character is portrayed in he he's completely heroic and altruistic but he lives in a world that that forces you know forces him to make decisions you you might not necessarily want to make but you're always at the end saying well that guy's a hero you know that guy's trying to do the right thing, and and to me this doesn't feel quite like that. Yeah, I would even agree. There's certain characters making the wrong decisions, not even for the right reasons. I agree. Laurie yeah. was sending chills down my spine. Like, what is up with that menagerie? That Gordon skeleton in the back is just okay. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll exactly. get to, of course, everything we see in episode three in a moment. But just quickly before we move on. Mark, you weren't able to be with us last week yes. to cover what we saw for the two um, first two episodes. Um, just quickly, what are your thoughts on what we've seen so far? I liked it, but for me, it's a different story in a Star Trek skin. It's visually put up as Star Trek, but kind of like we've been touching on it emotionally, it's not there yet, and you can understand maybe why they're trying to bring on new people and I think they're giving us fans of the past, they'll see they might hang with it for an episode or two to see what's happening. I'm thinking maybe we'll start to see more classic Trek ideals coming in shortly. 
as they try and bring new people on board. My kind of first thoughts. Yeah, I, I think I I think that the obviously the name of the show, you know, it's not unlike The Walking Dead, right? It's not, that refers to the main characters, not not the zombies. So and obviously this is the same thing. This is it's not about the ship, it's about what these characters are gonna uncover about themselves in this in this environment. And so, you know, the 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 chance for these people to grow and find their footing, I think, certainly exists and is probably the goal. Uh, but I, I, I don't need that run up. For me, I would like to see us boldly going. I would like to see us, you know, you know um, I don't know, do, doing what Star Trek does. And this, this is a uh, maybe a, a certain flavor of it, but it's it's not one that I I just uh, particularly enjoy. Well, I can see that they've obviously got the sort of the fundamentals of the Federation there of going and discovering new places in mind because as we'll get to with this episode coming that we're reviewing is of course what the discovery is all about and of course once they use it to win the war what it could mean for sort of going out and discovering new worlds in the future so it's obviously it that sort of idealism is there and it's how they get there which is what i can see the series is about but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this sort of unravels as the sort of years go by yeah i agree okay so let's head into reviewing episode three of star trek discovery now the title of the show is context is for kings and we of course start off and it's six months after Michael Burnham was court-martialed in that very weirdly lit courtroom, my dad. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was like an X-Files thing. I was waiting for the smoking man to come out and, you know. Like... Yeah, it reminded me of the way um, in Chuck, the ring always used to meet. <laughs> it's just like, where did that come from? <laughs> Why was there nobody else about? Why was there no prosecutor and defense and... Anybody. Why were the lights off? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, huh? Um, whether or not it was like that because it was treason and even in most countries that have stopped the death penalty, um, you will still get treason is the only thing where you could get the death penalty. So he may have pled guilty already. So it was a sentencing. So because they could say that um, she'd get the death penalty as a result of her actions... The lighting was that way i don't know but it was just super super weird <laughs> but we start off six months after that and he's in a shuttle now this is the first time we see a shuttle and it's got aspects of the galileo that we saw in the original series you've got the seating along the sides it's long yeah, there's um, an astrogator up at the front in the middle. Strangely, we only seem to have one pilot for multiple prisoners. But maybe there's a reason for that. They were handcuffed. It was fine. Very well handcuffed, I might add. So we got to see a different aspect here of Federation citizens. We've got non-Federation, sorry, non-Starfleet um, people and Michael Byrne who were prisoners in this shuttle. They're being transferred to a new facility um, on Tullum, I think it was. Now, 
what we hear about is one of them was talking, well, they started talking about Andorians and how cold-hearted they are. And one of them made the comment, that's not the only thing that's cold about them or something, <laughs> well, especially with the ones that I killed. So, of course, I know we've sort of had murderers in some of the Trek series before, but this is the first time we've seen something that isn't a result of some sort of mind meld or um, some sort of bacteria or <laughs> something weird like that. This is the first time we've literally seen someone who's just found, seems to be sort of in prison because they are a straight out killer sort of thing. Um, and they weren't and they weren't part of Starfleet, right? These were just civilians. Yeah, those three seem to have been civilians. Michael Burnham seemed to have had a different outfit because I think she was from Starfleet, so she And it had the Delta. Yeah, and it still had the Delta on it. So it's a bit like, I suppose, at least in the UK, if you're in the military and something happens, you're taken to a military prison. Right. Same here. Uh, and I think that was probably the same thing, but there may have been an area on the place where they were, which was for any prisoners from Starfleet and another part of the planet or Starbase, which was for civilians. Right. Uh, and now with the war on, it seems like, you know, there was obviously, and they, they, they mentioned some kind of accident uh, that wiped out a bunch of inmates. So now they're on their way to, to replace that workforce. Yeah. So... It's, of course, one of the prisoners you've actually got had a cousin that was on the Europa. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, she's very not happy with knowing that it's Michael Burnham. But it's strange that she, well, she didn't act like she didn't know who that was. Because one of them didn't know. And it's just like, don't you know who that is? But, um, yeah, the anger towards Burnham seemed to have got more intense and we'll, we'll move on to that later but just the fact that we had civilians who were prisoners and by the looks of things murderers did you guys have any thoughts of seeing that different side of the federation for a change well in the you know in the original series there is a, a couple of episodes where we visit uh asylums for the criminally insane um so Dagger of the Mind is one. Certainly where we meet Captain Garth is another. Um, so I, I think that there are, you know, I, I think that there are these places that exist. But in, I think, the 23rd century, the idea of mental health is such an elevated concept as compared to what it is today that I would imagine, you know, if you are somebody who murdered a bunch of Andorians for sport or for whatever this person's reason, that's considered criminally insane, and that's you know somebody that ne that needs um, that needs that kind of help. So I I don't know. Did they mention where they were taken from or what kind of facility they were in? I don't remember them saying that. I don't recall them saying anything. I don't remember. Yeah, so it's possible that that they were you know in a facility that that dealt with. Um, millions who have committed these kinds of heinous crimes, which which we did see in like Dagger of the Mind. Yeah. Now you did mention Garth um, of Isar. Now 
of course, we were told this is Star um, Starfleet's first mutineer. And I always thought, hmm, because with Garth of Izar, it was, wasn't it several years before that his crew mutinied because he sort of broke down and tried to destroy a planet? Yeah, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what the specifics of that incident was. So I'm, and I'm not sure, like, did, did we ever get into, you know, were they declared mutineers or was it, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what, what ultimately happened. Well, if but, he's the one that went crazy and his crew were trying to stop him, would they technically would have called them mutineers since they were trying to protect? Well, technically, right, right, exactly, yeah. I suppose they are, they still mutiny. Again, it's whether or not it's the right reason or not. And of course, this was even tackled in The Next Generation with Pegasus. Um, sort of, and I think that's what Discovery is trying to tackle more, is those sorts of things. Burnham, she knew Vulcans. She had learnt a lot more about Vulcans through the Vulcan Institute. And she'd also lived through their attacks. She'd spoken to um, the ambassador, um, Saval, and actually said, um, sort of, how did you defeat it? It's just like, well, the Vulcans learnt the first time. Sort of, shoot first, because that's the only thing they respond to. So she knew the only way to save her captain and her crew and to stop a war is by approaching the Klingons as Klingons and by attacking first. But her captain didn't want to listen. So she took the only route she could see left to her, which was to disobey her orders and to sort of attack her captain and to try and sort of fire first. And I have to say, I don't want to digress back to that episode, but none of that really rings true for me as far as what a mm. Starfleet officer would do. Uh, you know, to, to say that you've come up against a, a situation and your captain gives you orders and you disagree with those orders. So because uh, Sarek told you about it, and, and this is Sarek telling her um that this was the very first time that the the Klingons and, and the Vulcans met. We've had dealings with the Klingons for a long time. I mean, the fact that we haven't seen them in a while, um, uh, I, I get. But there are certainly historical references to how many times we've met the Klingons, and 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 so when she does that, it just doesn't ring true to me that that in this crisis the objective is mutiny. That's the only w way to to solve this problem. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just imagine it in every show. Imagine when there was a moment where somebody had an idea, the captain didn't like it, and the officer was like, well, forget it. I'm just going to knock you out and take over. Well, they did that in Equinox. Um, there's also when Picard with the board, the way he went over the top, um, his crew having to sort of talk him down. We have seen that in Star Trek before. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, of course, the shuttle is then, because it's in a storm, and you then see these bugs um, swarming the ship. I didn't uh, realise what they were at first. Um, well, because then Burnham actually says what it is, and it's just like they suck all the energy from the ship, and basically we're going to die by either sort of because there'll be no power, there'll be no heat, 
or because we'll just run out of oxygen. Um, and she seems and she seems quite willing to let either happen. Oh, she's yeah. perfectly okay with whatever's going to happen. So you've actually got from there, sort of. You can tell oh, the other prisoners are trying to escape, sort of a complete pointless act because they just cannot move these things at all, the shackles. And yeah, she's just in there, almost with a grin, almost like she's she's in the mind of. I deserve to die, sort of thing. Right, I'm just going to um, settle in for the end, right. Um, which is sort of very telling of her frame of mind. Agreed. Um, mm. And of course, then we get the next shot, which is of the Discovery. The first time that in the series that we actually see the ship. <laughs> and, of course, the shuttle's tracked it in. So... When you guys saw the ship, we also then get a nice front view with the storm in space underneath it. What were your thoughts of the the new sort of hero ship? Why are there holes in the saucer? <laughs> yeah, I I uh I don't know. It didn't uh, it didn't move me. But then again, I you know my ship is the original enterprise so you, you have to you have to weigh my result with <laughs> with what i'm what i'm putting it against yeah for me it's voyager but I, I was thinking about it cuz we know that the original enterprise was supposed to have had a separatable um saucer section and we definitely saw that with the enterprise d now what i thought is if this is a science vessel that maybe it's designed that one the saucer can be separated, but also the outer or the inner part of it can also be separated, which may house all the really dangerous sort of because they say this ship can deal with two hundred science um projects at a time. Yeah, three hundred. So, three hundred was it? So, yeah. Um. So if it can deal with that many and it's got some really dangerous ones that it's just like, okay, we need to separate the center section because it means they evacuate the center part of the saucer. It drops out because then the outer ring of the saucer is then connected to um, the main hull of the um, engine drive and everything else. And in the bridge. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. So that's hey, just, you know, I, go on. Yeah. I'm, lo I'm looking forward to seeing what, what, what you know, what the ship can do and obviously it's a science ship and so it's it if it's if we find that it's you know suddenly armed to the teeth and you know that that would be an odd choice for me but uh but i'm you know more than willing to see what the ship's capable of definitely but yeah i sort of because i've been having as with most of us sort of watching this series and especially as i'm doing podcasts on this as well sort of before I start podcasting, I've usually watched it sort of at least five times beforehand. And so sort of I'm thinking, I wonder if there's a reason for the design of this. And I, that was the first idea that sort of came in my head. Hmm. But yeah, hopefully that will actually be explained um, a little bit further. So we know they're looking to do sort of something with a new form of transportation so maybe there's a reason again to do with sort of the way things are set up um i guess uh, time will tell with that 
Okay. Yeah, we'll just have we'll just have to give it time and see what happens. Obviously, they have photon torpedoes. Yeah, um, they almost look like quantum torpedoes. Um, but I suppose they've got the blue color because I suppose at that time, as it was described in, I'm trying to think, was it one of the? I can't remember if it was actually one of the books or whether or not it was in later on in Enterprise. Um, it was actually described one of the reasons that we got blue phasers because of course in later series that they're orange is actually because the weapons came from the andorians when it came to building the first starfleet ships yeah that's interesting so um but i do like the way that the torpedoes look more like sort of almost yeah, they look like kind of romulan plasma torpedoes yeah, they, they look like sort of almost cannonballs. They sort of bring on this sort of round shape when it sort of fires. It's almost like they are a light, um, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, as with most of these things, Trekkies especially, we love the techno babble. We love the explanations. So there's a lot of things kept hidden and kept secret from us. Um, and it's obviously going to be revealed as time goes on. So it'll be interesting to see where, as always, this all goes. We then move on to the mess hall. And again, you see the sort of very TOS um, sort of back wall where they're getting all their sort of food from. So I did like, again, another callback to the original series. But again, updated. It's not just plain colours and things like that. Right. Yeah. The food dispensers in the mm. back. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was a nice touch. Um. Now, of course, everybody's got their eye on Michael Burnham as she's walking past because, well, as Saru says, you're now famous. <laughs> right, word is spread. And, of course, she sits down with the rest of the prisoners. I, And it was just the fact that the first thing they go is, how about we make you body count, what was it, sort of 8,183? Yeah. Um, and so she just sits there, calm and collected, very Vulcan. And of course, then the prisoner takes a swing and she just goes backward, misses it. And then, of course, lets loose and just a attacks the rest of the prisoners to, well... Proceeds to beat them up with a lunch tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was good. So sort of, it wasn't just self-defense because, yeah, the other, the female prisoner did go to attack her as well i know the other one just sort of stood back so with his hands up going yeah i'm not getting involved <laughs> yeah i i have to say this scene made zero sense to me I, why I don't, under, I don't understand why what what is the impetus for this guy in a starfleet uh ship mess hall to to all of a sudden lurch at this person and try and kill her for no reason well everybody blames her for the war she's technically responsible for thousands of people dying within six months. So they blame her. And as we know, when people are blamed for a lot of deaths, even somebody, say, going to a courthouse, there's security there because they know people can and will try and attack them. And of course, even though they're prisoners and we know they're violent prisoners, there's no, no one there to stop them. And we do actually see a security officer who actually goes to intervene and is actually told to stand down by the security chief. Well, sure, because now, uh, we, we want to see how she handles herself. Well, yes, and which 
for me, the whole thing there was to show that she is actually being tested. Yeah, I thought the security chief set up because she stepped in far too quickly and said the captain wants to see you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was all set up, but it would have made more sense for for one of the Starfleet people to pick that fight. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. It by having it that it's the prisoners that do it. Thing is, you don't know that the um, the tactical chief had actually turned around and sort of put the idea in their head. Because if they attack her, then she can just send them to the brig, which is where they were going to go anyway after their meal. But if it was actually someone in uniform that did it, then it would have to go in a report, things like that. This way, it just makes the paperwork easier. Yeah, without without seeing that that the impetus for getting them to do it, it still it rings very... It, that scene was there so you could see her fight. and But it comes out, to me, it comes out of nowhere. I, I don't I don't buy the I just don't buy that character's motivation to all of a sudden just attack her in a room of Starfleet people. It just didn't make sense to me. Okay. Next we go over to meet the captain of the USS Discovery, Captain Lorca. And of course he is in a very dark room, which is explained away because he needs the lighting to come up slowly because of an injury that he's had, and it's the only way he can keep his own eyes. Why was uh, the lighting down in the first place? That's what I want to know. Wait, what was that? Why was the lighting down in the first place? Well, he was looking outside at the stars, so no reflection, I suppose. Because um, he was staring out, and you could actually see the reflection of the stars in his eyes. So all I can think is he was uh, sort of stargazing. But he did make a little sort of quip about sort of making him look um, more mysterious. Yeah, um, I, I assume that that's a, a more comfortable state. Mm. Yeah, because he, from what we've seen, he likes the fact that people don't know what he's going to do. We can we see that later on in the episode with Lorca, that he doesn't know about the decision that his captain's made. And he likes people not knowing his secrets. Um, he, well, even Tilly... Um, Again, we'll probably go into it later. He's obviously frightened, and I think others are frightened of their captain. It's not it doesn't seem to be a ship that they respect their captain. Um, it was um, Stammon, um, who is it? Is his name Stammon? Stavitz, I think. Um, Stamets. Dam- Paul Stamets. Stamets. Um, Stamets, He he even refers to him as a warmonger. So. Yeah, there's obviously no love lost between those two characters. Oh, no. So there's obviously something about him or, or and his mission, which obviously people don't look up to him as someone that they want to follow. It's someone that they have to follow. So, They're afraid not to follow. Yeah. So I think this is one of his mind games in a way. And again, that sort of goes back to probably him setting up with the tactical chief to test her and what would happen if sort of she's confronted. Yes, he's uh, Captain Lorca is clearly a chess player. Exactly. He's 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 got some, you know, uh, I mean, he reminds me of Mirror Captain Kirk. 
<laughs> you know, like he's got some scheme that's playing well beyond anything that's happening aboard this ship. It feels like, you know, with these experiments that he's running and these different things that are that the the payout for what he's doing is going to be much larger than whatever the mission is. That's what it feels like to me. Like he's playing his own game. Yeah. You know, I just keep calling him Captain Malfoy because it just reminds me of that other character. So much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. So, and and that and this is where we see the Gorn. Um, no, no, we no. don't see the Gorn until the end. Oh, neither do. This is where we saw the Tribble. Oh, right. You're right. The only Tribble in the entire universe that's not pregnant. Well, as far as we know. It's just sitting on the desk, but I'll actually get to that later because of something else we see at the end. After the meeting with the captain, we then get sort of Barnum actually allocated quarters. So, and, and we also we also learn though that what's interesting is that he brings her into the. Fo- obviously, she doesn't want to. She wants to go serve her time and and be done with it. But he brings her on. But there's also this kind of weird, you know. Uh, well, Starfleet told me to. I. I can complete my mission however I want. So he obviously had this shuttle she was on divert. I mean, diverted to come to the discovery. And so he he's got some. Uh, I would say friends, either powerful friends or disregard for for Starfleet. Yeah, or a bigger mission in mind. Um, overall, again, it's all part of the mysteries that we'll hopefully find out about as time goes on. Right, of course. This is where we get Tilly, which is a completely different character than everyone else we've seen so far. Um, sort of nervous ramblings, someone who's got allergies. Um, <laughs> so adorable. I love her. Um, so first of all, we go into the quarters. And again, it's similar to layouts that we saw in the original series. That again, I thought was a good callback. Um, but of course... What was it that you thought of Tilly um, when she came in? Uh, I thought she uh, laid it on a little thick as the kind of every person character. But uh, but I don't know. Maybe she'll grow on me. Yeah, it was the same. I wasn't a fan. It was like, okay, here is the attempt at comedic relief to lighten the mood. But it just doesn't work. Is I've known people like her. And it... It is someone with sort of who is very nervous, um, who's not always too sure of themselves. In some situations, yeah, they're great when they know what they're doing. And of course, she's a cadet. She hasn't gone through all her training. So she hasn't got the confidence of um, well, a proper officer of Starfleet. And to me, that sort of comes across there. And it's nice to, again... It's nice to see someone who's not absolutely perfect. Well, I think it'll be what'll be interesting is her kind of uh, eager naivete rubs off on everyone else and they become better because of her or if she becomes worse because she's in a den of vipers. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see where that goes. And why is there a cadet on this ship that's doing all these super secret things near enough on the border of Federation Klingon space? Well, that's actually explained in the episode. Um, She got 
pushed ahead in her class and allocated to the ship because of her knowledge of um, whatever it is she does because of what's on the Discovery. All right. So I still she... thought it was highly suspect. But we do know from previous um, episodes of Star Trek that um, in the fourth year of their being a cadet, you do tend to get some sort of um, Starfleet ex- sort of work experience as such. Well, this this strikes me as a series where n- nothing is um, as you see it, and um, I you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pull the rug out from under us and she's she's Section Thirty One and. Yeah, that would be a very high level (laughs) ranking officer, you know, and she does the most (laughs) horrific thing of all. Who knows? Well, one thing they did mention um, in the After Trek show, um, this was from the executive producer. I've forgotten what his name is now. Um, Alan. Oh, don't know his last name. Harberts, is it? Something like that. Yeah, I think it was Aaron Harberts. Um, I'm usually useless with the names. Um, but yeah, basically he said that literally everything you see that's in there is in there deliberately. And it will things will come back and appear later in the show. And yeah, for me, that was very interesting. It's just like, hmm, I really do wonder what they're planning to do with this. Because there's a lot of things... That's just like, okay, they could go in so many directions. Yeah, I think this is something where you're going to, where, they, you know, they, they've uh, they've got a lot of surprises in store for us. Exactly. Now, we then get Black Alert. Right. Now, we've all seen Yellow Alert and Red Alert throughout. In Voyager, we're introduced to Blue Alert. Green Mode. Yeah, we've had grey mode for um, when using the cloaking device. Now, this was, of course, the first time we've heard of Black Alert. Now, of course, we don't know. We were told that one of the side effects of the new travel method was to do with this um, sort of moisture in the air, which sort of makes the walls go damp, as it was sort of explained. But... We don't know whether or not Black Alert is just for that or whether or not it means something more. So hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about that. But It was enough to scare the hell out of Tilly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She look... really didn't she didn't like Black Alert at all. <laughs> no. Well, that was the thing though. The first time I watched it, that's what I thought. By the second or third time through, I was thinking is it that it's because of Black Alert or is it because Michael Burnham, who she now knows is responsible for over 8,000 murders, um, is next to her and going, what's going on on this ship? Thinking, I can't tell you because you've not been briefed. And yeah, I think her... she's genuinely scared of just what's going on. So Yeah, I, I think the actual uh, science, this twisted science of what they're trying is what's scaring her. So it'll be interesting to see if that gets expanded on later on. But you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I have this image of her thinking, "I hope they don't find me laying on the floor and my face is elongated in a weird, <laughs> you know, horrific way." Yeah, but whether or not that was actually known, because it 
didn't look like something that had been expected um, when it right, came right. to seeing the sister ship, but we'll get to that shortly. Of course, next we see Saru. He's now promoted to first officer. Um, and of course, he walks with um, Michael Burnham. Um, I do like the fact that they've actually made him... Because um, Doug Jones, who plays him, is already really tall, but they've stuck these great big sort of hoof heel things on him um, to make him even taller. Um and one of the things as mentioned in After Trek was the fact it's obviously going to be an interesting way to shoot because people not of roughly the same height, there's this big difference <laughs> in sort of where you need to sort of have the camera. And it's nice to show someone a little bit more sort of alien, um, but still sort of humanoid than what we've seen before. Yeah, and I, and I like the character a lot. Mm. Uh, but I do get a sense that he's... He always seems kind of... Uh, Cowardly? Afraid? Well, no. There, I mean, certainly there's that, but that's, I think that's just part of his DNA, as we've learned in the past. But he always seems like he's kind of not in the know. Like, he's a little... Like, I, he, like he's the first officer, but I don't get that the captain treats him as a first officer or trusts him, or he, he kind of always seems on the outside of information. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. just me. But that goes back to me wondering whether or not, because is Lorca is obviously not a captain that you just can go and chat to by the looks of things. Um, the crew has obviously been picked for skills rather than chosen for their suitability. Right. Um, like the place that I work, you could have all the qualifications in the world, but if you don't come across as someone who will fit within the company and with the other people who work there they won't consider you for the post. And I think with a lot of ships, we've seen with like Riker and Deanna when they're doing things and talking about sort of having people on the ship and things like that, that is also one of the things that sort of determines whether or not you'd be assigned to a ship sometimes. And less in what I think in this case is there's a need for you on that ship, that's where you're billeted. So... right. Um, but as I said, it, he doesn't come across as a captain that you want to respect, you that you want to talk to. Um, so it'll be, as said, going back to what I keep saying, interesting to see where this leads. So yeah, mm -hmm. we, we then get sort of information that, of course, there's the um, funeral service that Saru talked to. It will be interesting to see if we ever find out what he did say. Um, but it's nice that he's friendly to, to her. He's not, he's not sort of shunning her like everybody else. Um, he obviously has respect for Burnham and was, and this is evident in what he says later on in the episode where he says something like, you are a very good officer until you weren't. Right. Um, or something along those lines. Um, and he's obviously got trust problems with her, but definitely recognises her abilities, which is why, despite not going to the Academy, um, she was eventually given the XO billet of the Shenzhou. And if you actually read um, Desperate Hours um, from David Mack, which is the sort of prequel um, book, um, it goes into a lot more about um, sort of not only Burnham, but... Um, 
through as well and the assignment to being first officer. Um, so there's um, some information in there about sort of that progression to that post because she only became a first officer of the ship a year before the incident of the Battle of the Binary Stars. So she hadn't been a first officer for that long. All right. But yep. um, if you haven't read the book, I definitely suggest reading it. Very, very good. Now, then we move on to engineering. So, well, an engineering lab, I should say. And we find out that there's actually a classified engineering lab, which Burnham finds very sort of curious Odd. about why that's actually a fact. Because, yeah, science, it seems that's an expected thing, but engineering, <laughs> why? Um, and, of course, you've got a breath sensor. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that just to make sure the crew are sober so they can breathalyze them every day? Right, right, right. So, you, so you work sober. Well, my wife no, asked... No synthahol yet. <clears throat> my wife asked about that. She goes, that just seems really silly. Uh, and, yeah, when I've been watching it, it's just like, yeah, but as always, I, as with most people, you can explain these things. And it's just like, well, okay... You take a breath and out comes moisture, so and that contains your DNA. But of course, the only way you can do that is if you're alive, so it stops people from just using bits of your DNA. Gouging out an eyeball, chopping off a finger. Exactly. So, but as with most systems, there are ways around it, which of course, Burnham finds a way to do that. Yes, the napkin. <laughs> the napkin hypospray method. Um, and then, of course, we are introduced to Lieutenant Paul Stamets. Um I think that's how you pronounce his name. S-T-A-M-E-N. No, no N, sorry. S-T-A-M-E-T-S. Stamets. Now, he really annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the ones I actually like. He's one of the only ones. He's one of the people that I just want to give a gib slap to. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah, anyone doesn't I, know I, what a gib slap is, watch NCIS. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, again, it's that these these characters seem very uh, petty and small-minded. And I, I it's, it's what's really making it hard for me to, to fully engage with the show as a Star Trek show. It's just, these are just not... Um, these are just not Star Trek characters the way I like them. The way that I'm looking at it is, in a way, how you started with Voyager and where you started when it came to the war in Enterprise, where you've got the Makos and you've got the Enterprise crew and where you've got the Marquis and the Voyager crew. People don't know each other. It's a brand new ship. They're forced together. It's they're in the middle of a war that they didn't want. Um, as was said in episode two, we're Starfleet. We shouldn't be at war. We're about discovering places. I think a lot of this tension and all that is because they are at war. It's not something they're used to. And I think like with both Enterprise and Voyager, that we'll start seeing things smooth out and things become better as they try to resolve things for the war and as they start working together more. Yeah, you know, there's a, there was a lot of um, talk about um, 
from Stamets who says, yeah, you know, we were working on this thing and it's going to revolutionize these things. And all of a sudden Starfleet just took over our research. Mm. But he, he's a Starfleet officer. The, the so, research was Starfleet's anyway, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so the, the, this kind of indignation was kind of weird. Um, and the they, they, they just don't feel like officers to me. Well, as the prisoner said, there's an awful lot of silver shirts here, which indicated to me lots of science people. So these are people who are the brainiacs. They're not usually the people out on the front lines. Right. So that's where you've got the competition. Um, as, again, back to Voyager, there's, um, I think it's Good Shepherd, where you'd got one of the people wasn't interested in away missions, wasn't interested in being with the crew. It was just about the theoretical physics or whatever it is he was doing and doing all his calculations. That's... Oh, yeah. That, 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 for Stamets, that's obviously his, you know, that's his jam, right? I mean, he wants to, he, he's been working on this thing for obviously a long time, and it's a it's a, a huge sci-fi MacGuffin, whatever it is, um, you know, this, this concept that he's working on. Um, but he's also a Starfleet officer, and I think See, to me, that says something. When you go through the academy and you go, you know, I'm not saying it turns you into some kind of cheery robot or anything, but but certainly you go out there with the knowledge that shit can go wrong. Yeah. Now, basically, the way this is all set up with all these characters, um, again, they're not all heroes. It reminds me of The Next Generation's Lower Decks. And as I said, Voyagers, um, I think it's Good Shepherd, it's called. I love the episode. And with those missions, you get to see people who aren't the best of the crew. They're not always the heroes. They're trying to do better. It's not the situations they're always put into. Um, they're inexperienced. And it's always, oh, I want to get this promotion. I want to get this merit. It's not where you've got the promotion, you've got the responsibility, like we see more so in... Deep Space Nine and things like that, where literally you've got the best people on the ship who know what they're doing. They're just doing their jobs and dealing with the situation. And especially Lower Decks, you talk to people about one of the best episodes of The Next Generation. And that one is, every time I hear, hear results for top 10, Lower Deck is always in the top 10 for The Next Generation. And... For me, being able to get to know these characters, I know for especially what we've had for Star Trek before, it's a completely different way of doing TV. It's how TV is done these days. and But for Trekkies, it's very new to us. And so for Do you me, mean the serialized aspect of it? I mean, the, the, yeah. the fact that this is one long episode? Yeah. Yeah, it's not, this is your captain, this is all the information that you need to know for the moment, and... You sort of get a big summary of who that one is and that one is. And you get to know that one a little bit better in this episode. This time you get to know a little bit about everybody and a little bit more each episode. But for Trekkies, we haven't had that before in Star Trek. And I think for a lot of people, they're so used to having a tale where this is the problem. They solve it next episode. That... I think it may take a bit of getting used to for a lot of people. but Yeah, possibly. 
Mm. But I think I think that uh, on Enterprise, the Zindi arc, um, you know, was a season long story. I mean, certainly there are self contained episodes, and and you know, we had the benefit of twenty plus episodes for a season where they have thirteen. So I think the even though it's a seasonal arc, it'll be very focused on whatever that is because they have only thirteen episodes to do it, unless they carry it into the following season. Whereas with you know other serialized shows, you could even say X-Files to a certain extent, there was an overriding story about him trying to find his sister, but yeah, you know, and the, and the, and the smoking guy and all that. But, um, you know, there were self-contained episodes that had nothing to do with the larger arc. And there were episodes that just focused on, you know, whatever the Zindi war, whatever it was in the Star Trek in in enterprise. So I think here you're, it is going to be a much more focused storytelling um, to try and get this one long season out. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that hard to shift gears, especially today's viewing habits. I mean, you know, the idea that, that people want to binge watch things, you know, that they, they want that, that uh, they want to be able to, to, to have that kind of continuity burst happen right away so I, I i don't think people will have a tough time catching on to that now then comes the away mission to the sister ship the uss glenn and of course um we've got stamets that's put told to put a team together to recover anything that they can and of course he's told to take burnham and of course this is when we get saru where we basically find out how good she is with her knowledge basically putting aside the mutiny he's she's the best Starfleet officer he's ever met um and the smartest um, i think he said what right um, smartest and of course Lorca just turns around to Stamets and just goes yeah and he knows you <laughs> yeah that was the be- that was the best line in the entire episode <laughs> exactly and it's just like put him in his place it's just like why do i need her she's just here as a temp number crunch <laughs> So it also gives us a little bit of knowledge about why she's there, sort of. She has got this knowledge and the abilities that are good enough to actually be called upon despite her situation. Um, But of course, we go over to the Glen. And this is the first time that we really see bodies and blood in Star Trek. That wasn't Star Trek. That was Silent Hill meets Resident Evil. Um, well, you say that the person who actually did all the scene stuff for it, I think um, it got mentioned that they were someone who was behind things like Resident Evil and things like that. Case in point. So, that well, there cool. there were certainly some gruesomeness going on on the Glen, and this is where they get the top end of the PG ratings. Um, but again. I like the fact that it's darker. It gives that sort of that little bit more sort of realism to it. Um, what were your thoughts? Um, you know, it's it, look. This is a subscription-based series, so it's they're gonna they're they're gonna surpass whatever the lines of network television are. Um, they have the freedom to do that, and um, I mean, already this is a, a much darker series it's darker than ds9 was and it's kind of warring days and it's um you know they the again it was it was all done very well it's not it it wasn't done 
I don't think, you know, it wasn't shock value. It wasn't like anything fell from the ceiling and, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, you know, they, they found these bodies and they were horrifically deformed. So I thought it was done well. Um, and it was creepy. I'm sure it, it I mean, it achieved the effect they wanted. Mm. I can, I, I remember saying out loud, it's a bit early for the Halloween episode. And then, of course, the monsters lurking in the background, which, you know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so very alien-esque sort of thing. Um, which I mean by not just an alien creature, but the film Alien. Now, what I did like about part of these scenes was the fact that it was Tilly that notices the Klingon. Right. Now, we know that she's a bit nervous and everything else, but the fact that and she's there because she has certain experience with whatever it is that's made her get there. But this is where she shows that she knows how to do her job, that even the tactical chief hadn't noticed there was a Klingon hiding in the corner. That's why I think <clears throat> there's more to her than than we understand right now. I mean, she seems suddenly quite confident, quite adept at at this kind of landing party operation, even though this is her first one, supposedly. And she calls him out. And, you know, look, at the sight of a Klingon, you're at war. She, she was completely cool and calm. But I did wonder, how did they get there? I agree. Mm -hmm. I, that was the one thing that stuck out to me was, well, where's the Klingon ship? I was expecting a Klingon ship to decloak. Yeah, me too. It's just like, okay, well, maybe when they go, that there's a ship there. But yeah, there was none. It's just like... Hmm. And, I mean, and it's possible that, you know, we'll learn that Klingons boarded the ship just as they did their own black alert test that sent them to wherever, you know. They're obviously doing this test that allows them to, you know... Uh, whatever, whatever it is they're doing, I'll relate it to, to DC Comics Swamp Thing. They're riding the green, you know, and getting wherever they're going to across the universe in these blink of an eye kind of moments. But um, yeah, because they did we'll... 90 light years in 1.3 seconds. Right. So maybe we'll find out that the Klingons boarded them as they jumped or something. I don't know. But otherwise, uh, yeah, that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And see if any of them start turning into space salamanders. I'm going to call Party File. <laughs> like we do not well, need a Tom, repeat of that episode yeah if Tom <laughs> Paris walks out of the the, the captain's uh, security brig then uh, I'll be disappointed <laughs> now we also during that time um, we get to see a monster I shall say um, it's an alien creature of some sort which is obviously very powerful very big yes very big as well um I like the fact we'd got something more because, yeah, when it came to alien creatures beforehand, due to the technologies, it's just like you have a look at like the movies when we first saw um, the Klingon Targ. Um, it just looked really dodgy. <laughs> um, right. The, 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 starting with the J.J. Abrams uh, movies, that, that's where Star Trek gained scope. That's where it yeah. gained, you know, <clears throat> the, the correct kind of budget to allow them to to uh, open the universe that way and it, it didn't just become the forehead of the week exactly 
So it, it and was that's, nice. And that's always well. That's always welcome. I mean, I you know, and look, space is a you know, uh, it, it it's always that thing that Q said. You know, it's wondrous with treasures beyond belief, but it's also scary. It's also you know, um, a dangerous place. And so I I love when they push both of those boundaries, both of those extremes. And I think this is uh, one of those points where they can do that. Now, what did you think about the little humor moment with sort of? Did he just hush you? <laughs> or shush you? <laughs> yeah, that was cute. <laughs> every every time I see it, it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just a big Klingon going, shh. <laughs> and then just to be like swiped away going, yep, that's why. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that makes me sort of laugh all the time. But now I do like the fact that we saw, of course, dead Klingons on the ground. So it's just like, well, what could do that? Of course, they're able to deduce that because they weren't in the same condition as the other Federation people, that they'd obviously joined the ship afterwards. So after whatever went wrong. And so sort of, I think, as you said, Dave, if it jumped, something went wrong, killed all the crew maybe it had another little jump in it when the Klingons boarded and disappeared. That, right. And that can, of course, if that is what happened, then that could lead to the Klingons trying to sort of find the discovery in later episodes with where we actually see more of a conflict between the discovery and the Klingons. And it's interesting that they, uh, they, um, they kind of warped the Klingons in this, you know, it's, it was, you know, next generation, it was, uh, the measure of a bad guy was how quickly he could take out Worf. <laughs> you know? And they did, they did the same thing here. Yeah. Now, what we'd also got when they eventually got into the lab. Now, they found what they called an, a nav hack. And there's also a device that was in the, re, the reaction cube. So, again, we don't find out anything else about these bits of equipment. So it'll be interesting to find out whether this is stuff from the Klingons who found the ship and tried to get access to it, or if this was what made the Discovery sister ship, the USS Glenn, actually get and do those distances that the Discovery hasn't been able to do yet. Now, I couldn't find any reference in Memory Alpha or anything else like that on these devices. Um, have you guys got any thoughts on what they might be? Not a clue. No, I, I no, I don't. Um... That's all right. Now, of course, um, this is when the alien starts breaking into the lab, and this is where we actually get a bit of profanity um, from Burnham, which we don't we don't tend to have got in previous episodes. So this is where um, she just turns around, going, "Ah, shit, that worked." <laughs> <laughs> Sort of, um, yeah, uh, I'm the sort of lamb. <laughs> Come and get me. Um, now, of course, she runs off and to try and keep control of her emotions and to center herself, she starts reciting Alice in Wonderland. Which was right. a nice touch, bringing a bit of humanity back to her. Yeah, and later on, when she's talking with Tilly, um, basically, she's got the book, and I did like the fact that Tilly just goes, "Is that a book?" Sort of 
today we've got all these ebooks and everything else and quite often it can be quite rare to actually see somebody with a book because quite often yeah people... it's a it's that great moment with kirk and and his attorney yeah and of course you know, with picard as well in and yeah kirk walks into the room and it's full of books and he says uh you know am i crowding you and the guy's very you know cognitively very uh uh what do you got something against books? I mean, he's, really, you know. <laughs> but I thought that was a great callback to sort of next generation and the original series with regards to books. So I, I thought that was really good. Again, that just made me smile. Um, but I do like the fact that although we didn't hear Spock's name, it was a reference because of course she talks about her um, foster mother, Amanda, and said that she used to read it to the two of us because we're the only two humans in the house of course Spock was only half human but I did like the way that um, it was sort of said that it was a way to look at how um, how was it um, put for that Um, a way to learn that the world does not always adhere to logic right that's what it Mm. was yeah absorb up is down down is up and lost is found and sort of, we know from the original series that Spock was always fighting against his human half. And again, it was a nice reference to Spock and the original series without fully naming it. And again, going back to David Mack's Desperate Hours, there's a lot more information about Burnham and Spock in that book. So if you're a TOS fan and... Um, Spock's one of your favourite characters and you want to know more about how we never heard of of a foster sister before, um, definitely go read that book. But I'd also remind you about his half-brother that we never heard of until the movies. (laughs) And I dislike that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't exactly the best movie, was it? Um, But yeah, it's just... Spock was a private person. He didn't really talk about his family. The first time Kirk had even known about his father was when he turned up on the ship. Is ah, you know each other? Yes, he's my father. <laughs> Kirk's like, yeah, no, that's the, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Look, they have, it's their toy now. They have the freedom to to tell these stories. To me, though, it makes the universe smaller. I want the universe to be bigger. I, I, you know. I um I've got the original series I can watch it I I I I just don't I don't know I don't feel I I just don't understand the choice to place it in this time zone you you could have told this story in any point in time I don't understand why it needed to be this point in time and 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 close in on these characters and and make the universe kind of smaller I, I well, okay, but I'll stop point. complaining. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only other reason that, as I said, I to me it's like, well, lack of technology from where we'd been and everything else. The only other reason that I could think of for going into that area was because of the movies. Now, people who have come in, and there's a lot of people who have come into Trek because of the movies, they came in in the TOS era. So by putting it into that same sort of era... And of course, especially as they're going to be using the same technologies to do all the filming and the CG and everything else. It 
makes it more of an easier transition for anyone who's coming in from the movies to the new series. And because they're doing all these callbacks, it's an easier way to introduce them to what came before. Sort of like a, a visual segue into it. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um, but yeah, that's the only other reason I could think of for doing this. Plus, when Brian Fuller came up with the idea, this was obviously an idea he'd had for a long time. Because um, he'd sort of come in with that. But um, yeah, we digress again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very, very unlike us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll move on because I know, um, Dave, you're short on time. Yes, I apologise. Thank you. <laughs> now, we, of course, get back to the ship. Um, we see a, li- a little bit more of the Discovery Bridge, but not really for long. And we also see an android or a robot. Not too sure which one. I'm and, thinking. And what do, you guys, what do you guys feel about that? That's an, I'm, It's pretty uh, blatant now in uh, a couple of the episodes um well when it came to whether it's android or robot i went with robot because kirk did mention something in one episode of tos about a robot being on a ship of the federation and we know that data from what was said in tng was the first android right so i think that's a robot but it did make me wonder because it had a rank, but it could just be another alien species. Again, I'm sure we'll end up finding out. But as for the first two episodes, that wasn't actually a robot that we saw. Um, oh, that was the, the you mean the, the, the thing with the information helmet on? Yeah, that was actually a tactical um, holographic display for the tactical officer. Yeah, yeah that is that is a lousy duty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, no. Because I did think maybe that is the robot that we heard a little bit about um, during production. But when you read, as I said, yeah, that's, Desperate it, Hours... It seemed more like a VR. Yeah. It seemed more like a virtual reality getup. So monitor helmet, is just someone wearing a helmet? It's just someone wearing a helmet, which has got like virtual reality holographic displays and that all around them for all the tactical information. Right. How long till they change it into a PSVR? <laughs> so um but yeah i only realized that when it came to reading the book now I'm, they'll possibly sort of go in they might go into that later in the series to actually give more information about it we then get to the ready room where we've actually got um Lorca with his fortune cookies um <laughs> uh, a bit of an odd one <laughs> And, of course, we see the Tribble. I smell a licensing opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Lorca Fortune, written by himself. um, um, Star Trek, Captain Lorca Fortune cookies. They'll be in store soon. Well, I do believe that StarTrek.com are about to start selling pillowcases for Star Trek Discovery. That we saw, (laughs) actually, in the beds. So, you never know. You never know. Now, this is where Burnham gets invited to join, and... This is where she starts quizzing him because this is where, as we were talking about earlier, about tests. It's just, she's obviously, she's smart enough to have realised she's been tested all this time. But her thoughts is it's because she wants to be used as a scapegoat for an unauthorised bioweapon for the Klingon War and she doesn't want to be a part of it. And that's when we hear about 
sort of Lorca basically just goes, hmm, is that what you think sort of way? And then it's just like, come with me and sort of site-to-site transport. <laughs> I thought, lazy git. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but of course, this is where he says, no, we're looking for a new way to travel. So this is what will win the war. If we can get in and get out, we can defeat the Klingons. Not to mention and it's, how... And, and it's obviously something that's not going to work, ultimately. Mm. Obviously. Because otherwise Voyager's trip would have been very quick. Right, exactly. But and of course... Sport drive would have been a thing for everybody. And, sort of, yeah, it's just like, yeah, if magic mushrooms really worked, they'd be legal. Um, oh, sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> now... This is where we find out about the new transportation, and this is where we sort of he's given a demonstration of what the spores can do. So this is where well we're still to find out whether the the spores allow her just to see these places or she was actually there. I think it's just to see the places. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the chamber represents. Um, yeah, it's a, a, a they'll I'm sure get into more of that. I but, thought it was just to see the places, because uh, otherwise, how could she hear him? Yeah. 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 So I was thinking it was just to see, not to travel to. Um, but that's why they need so much in order to actually make that break through maybe whatever barrier it is. Interesting but, that they show the Andorian moon and that it has an obelisk on it, like uh, from yep, the original from the, series. From the Preservers, yeah. Mm. Um, which anyone who plays Star Trek online... Um, they will have, um, sort of, that's part of, um, one of the story arcs there as well. Uh, we've got Starbase 11, as well as the Janus 4, sorry, Janus 6 mining facility where, yeah. um, the horses. Yeah, so, a lot of great, uh, a lot of great references there. So, again, nice callbacks to the original series about what get found, sort of, ten years later. Um, so, not actually going there, so not of disrupting the timeline so to speak until you see the Gorn <laughs> <laughs> well yeah after that this is where um, the tactical officers with Lorca and they go how's our little guest on which they're talking about uh, the monster that he now has imprisoned and the fact that when they went over to the USS Glen that this thing had obviously ripped up um, sort of d- um, how did he put it? Double reinforced hull. And I'm just wondering, hmm, how are they able to contain it now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, uh, that's a one of the things that crossed my mind is so it bashes itself on the on the force field, but that room is not made of all force fields. So, mm. yeah, yeah. So it, and it's just like, um, what happens if force fields fail? <laughs> You're screwed. <laughs> And Which also, I think uh, the coming uh, attractions. <laughs> yeah, but it's also the question again: Where did this thing come from? But yeah, what we, is it? As we said earlier on in the After Trek program, they'd said that everything you see is deliberate, and um, things will become clearer as the season goes on. So right. So is this? Is this? I, I'm going to think that this is some kind of life form that lives in the whatever i don't know what it's called yet in the subspace filament field that that they travel through and that's what's going to make this a a um a science they can't use yeah now 
this is when it sort of pans out and we start to see his extra room that he has. Um, now The basement. Yeah. Now, as you said, we see this gaunt skeleton and that was the first thing I noticed. Then I looked down and I went, I'm sure that looks like a Cardassian vole. All right. Oh, I missed, I missed that. I missed that as well. If you look down from there, um, on the desk, uh, it looks like two Cardassian voles on top of each other. Yeah, I'll have uh, to go back and take a look. And then as it pans around to the left, in the far distance, it looks like a tribble, but I'm sh- it looks like it's been dissected. Well, that's how he has one that and, doesn't uh, give birth. <laughs> yeah, because either he's found a way to stop it from breeding, or he's just been dissecting all these tribbles, so... All the ones that have been bred, when they grow up, he's li- he's feeding them very little, so it can only breed a limited amount. Because we yeah, know exactly. the more they eat, the more they breed. So feed it very little. The ones that mature and um, given birth, dissect, have a look at, and then he's got a baby one, feeds that a little amount, slowly it grows, repeats. So again, that's my thought of the triple. That's uh, basic, actually. <laughs> yeah, that. And, and I wonder if I wonder if getting the monster, you know, look, if you pulled into the middle of a battle with some Klingons and started beaming those things onto the Klingon ships, it'd be pretty <laughs> sh- yeah, make pretty short work of a battle. Now, after you see the triple, it again keeps panning round a little bit more, and it, it looks like a case of some other things as well. Now, I couldn't really see what they were. Um, but it looks like he's a collector um, of sort of other sort of dead animals. Now, the Gorn I found was interesting because, of course, the first time we actually meet the Gorn was in the original series. So I don't think he captures or kills them. I think he just collects them. Um, but then I thought, well, if he's dissecting the Tribbles, does he... How that doesn't quite work. So, again, it's another thing... It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. <laughs> yeah, it's possible that, that he, he has no idea what the Gorn is. Exactly. He's got this interesting skeleton. It's sort of humanoid looking, but sort of monster sort of skull. So, um, yeah, definitely thought um, that was an interesting way to end the episode. Yeah, agreed. So that's basically everything sort of analyzed in a very quick nutshell. Yeah, and again, and again, the the show is compelling to watch. I mean, the acting is good, and they're certainly, you know, they're setting up their universe. Um, and and I'll continue to watch, and it's it's uh, because it's produced so well. But uh, it's uh, but to me, it's just not it's not Star Trek the way I think Star Trek should be. So for me, it's it falls a little flat as a Star Trek show, but as a drama, a science fiction drama, I'm I'm on board. The thing I is, would totally agree with that. The thing is, fun when I hear people say that, in a way, it does make me chuckle because that's why I hear a lot of people, especially who are TOS fans, that's what they say about Deep Space Nine. It's just way too dark. Really, wasn't Star Trek. <laughs> um, but everyone's got their own view. None of it is invalid. Um, everybody likes and dislikes what they want. And if we're all the same, then the play, the world would be a boring place. Yeah, look, it op- it opens up a, a you know the tapestry of what is Star Trek to you, and that's a, a that 
that's like any of these genre things, you know? I mean, it's, I'm a big comic book person as well. And, uh, you know, if you talk to people about Batman versus Superman, this latest movie, I mean, it's all over the board. And it's really because, because of what you as a fan want out of these things. And there's no way that producers can, can accommodate all that. So they, you know, you write your story, you, you present it and, uh, and you make it for yourself and people are either on board or they're not, but it's interesting how this series has already, uh, and this always happens at the beginning, but I think this has kind of this sustained, um, feeling of, and I don't even think that it's like it, not like it. I think it, it's more, is it Star Trek or isn't it Star Trek? And that's a, that's a, a much more, uh, lengthy philosophical discussion, I think. Yeah, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how this sort of unfolds. Agreed. Yep, and onwards to episode four. Yeah, and I just now, I know I know you had I know you had Larry Nemechek on last week. What, what in a in a very brief nutshell, what was Larry's uh, take? Is he a, a fan of the show? Um, yeah. Again, he's the sort of person who sort of. He goes back with Trek a long way. There's lots of things that he does and doesn't like with it. Um, with regards to the ships, he said the way he sees it is how the United States was with um, ships in the sort of 60s and 70s. Lots of different models were coming out at that particular time. Um, so that's why we're seeing lots of different variations. So there's a lot of expansion lots of ships being created there trying to see what does and doesn't work at the time um but yeah he he likes it he's going to keep watching it so um well we're going to have lunch in a couple of weeks i just want to know how i can attack him <laughs> <laughs> well as with everybody else download the episode and listen in i will <laughs> so if people want to get hold of you dave how can they actually find you on the interweb uh, i am on twitter and it's always confusing because my uh, my handle looks like it means hope, but the I in it is actually a small L, so it's more like Lieutenant means hope. But I'm listed there as Dave Rossi. The link to his Twitter page will be in our show notes, so you can easily just go over to our website and grab that from there. Lots of Star Trek and comic book chat. So have you got any sort of Star Trek projects coming up at all actually no i'm uh i am uh right now enjoying being a fan so i am uh um i'm sitting out these next couple of rounds let's uh let's see what happens i you know between this and and the orville which really isn't a star trek show but um but can be kind of a funny quirky sci-fi show i'm just uh i'm just having fun watching everything nice so yeah, we received an email through the form on our website from Miles McLaughlin. He's actually from the podcast Sci-Fi Diner. Oh, nice. So this was in relation to one of our earlier episodes before Star Trek Discovery launched. Um, his message reads, Hello and greetings from across the pond. Mike and Colin, it's good to hear the both of you podcasting. Steve, I'm sure I've heard you on other podcasts I listen to, and it's nice to hear your voice again. In other words, he can't remember if he's heard me or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm catching the podcast through Apple Podcasts. So I've been a Star Trek fan for far longer than I wish to say. My earliest memories are watching TOS in the early 70s on a little black and white TV with my father. My love of Star Trek continues through the movies, TNG and all the shows that came after. I even like the Kelvin timeline Star Trek even though it's not without its flaws. When it comes to Star Trek Discovery, I was elated that we're getting Star Trek back on the small screen. I was hoping we could get something with the Kelvin timeline movies making Star Trek popular again, and bringing in many new fans. Although the timing that would have been right for another show, although the timing would have been right for another show, but alas we waited over 10 years since Enterprise was off the air. I'm not sure Discovery is Star Trek that I wanted but it's what we're going to get. I was concerned that with them being a prequel in the Prime timeline, might force themselves into a corner creatively. Also, and my fears were justified of how hard core fans would react to them doing a show contemporaneously with the TOS pilot, the cage, and how differently they look compared to each other. I almost wish they would have done the show in the Kelvin timeline to avoid these things. However, with Paramount owning the movie rights and CBS owning the TV show rights, I'm not sure that would even have been possible. I'm cautionally optimistic of what I've seen. I'm not bothered how the Klingons look. To me, they still look like Klingons. Just more alien. Star Trek is doing what they've always done with Klingons since 1979. That is tweaking the look. But st sticking to a common theme. I can tell a lot of money and love has been committed to Discovery and there's a lot of people that want it to succeed. With that, I have no problem giving it a chance, and I'm enthusiastic for September 24th to get here. I'll be watching it on CBS All Access next week. Thank you for the podcast. Look forward to hearing what you think after the pilot drops. Till next time, live long, prosper, and podcast. Miles McLaughlin from Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. So, if you, like Miles, would like to get in contact with us, then please get through to us via our website. You can leave us a message by using the widget on the side of the page where you can actually record your voice and we will actually play it on the show. Or you can use the contact form on the Contact Us page or you can contact us through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash New Horizon podcast. You can get us on Twitter at New Horizons cast. You can also find us on Google+, StarTrekRiser.com, and you can even email us at crew at newhorizons.show. If you have any problems using the widget to leave a voicemail on our website, you can actually go straight to speakpipe.com forward slash newhorizonspodcast and use the facility directly on their website. So, plenty of ways you can get hold of us. And there's also our email address, which is crew at newhorizons.show. So let us know what you think, and we will read out your feedback on the show as well. So until next time, thank you all for joining us. Take care.